Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And before an excellent podcast, quick shout out to our sponsor, Brex. Brex is a credit card for startups, the first one ever. It's fantastic. They don't require a personal guarantee by the founder. That is a huge, huge deal. Also has great integration with QuickBooks, which makes life easy for your accountant. And finally, they have really good rewards. They do startup-centric rewards, so like bonuses on ride-sharing and travel and eating out and things like that, all things that appeal to the whole team at a startup. So check out Brex, and if you go through their sign-up and type in Cruise, you get a discount. Hopefully you enjoy Brex, and thanks so much, guys, for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Horn at Cruise Consulting and my very special guest, Dave Chappelle from My Perfect Color. Dave, welcome. Hey, how are you doing, Scott? We've been friends for, I'm doing great. We've been friends, uh, what, 10 years? I don't even know. Long time. We met, yeah. we met via Greg Spiridellis at Jib Jab. And, yes. Uh, I guess he had raised some venture debt from you, your old your old fund, and you helped me with a an intro that almost turned into an acquisition, but it was, uh, yes. it was we've known each other a long time. Well, Greg is, is newly acquired by Netflix, so he's doing pretty well. Yeah. Hey, Greg, if he's listening. Uh, and then uh, that acquisition that didn't work actually ended up working out for you the other way, right? Because you got acquired by what Amazon? Or yeah. So you, you introduced us to Angie's List, and then That's that right. fell through, and then Living Social that fell through, and it ended up as the smallest of the three acquisitions on paper, um, which was the Amazon one at the end, turned into by far the best because Angie's List and Living Social both essentially flamed out. I, I don't really know, and and Amazon is up 10x from when they. From the acquisition, so we got very lucky. That's it's, it's, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, or or good and lucky. That's, I would say. I, I I just go with lucky. <laughs> I'm one of the luck, luckiest humans alive. Uh, so now your new venture is called My Perfect Color, which is awesome. And you, I've known about it for a couple of years because you introduced me to the the founder of the company. But maybe just retrace your career a little bit and then talk about how you got involved with My Perfect Color. Yeah. So I was, you know, long time ago, I was an accountant. Uh, out of undergrad, I uh, hated it, and uh, so when the internet started coming up, um, like when I was at, in high school, I ran a bulletin board on my computer uh, in my bedroom, and so when you know AOL and things started to come up, I said this is a lot like what I used to love doing, and uh, so I went. I basically said I hate accounting. I like what's going on with the internet, and uh, I applied to Wharton to get my MBA. And I only applied to one school, so if that hadn't worked out, I probably would have jumped off a bridge if I had to keep going. Was that there. confidence or just um, not understanding the way the process works? Yes. <laughs> it, I wouldn't call it confidence. I lived in Philadelphia and in you know, good school, and but yeah, if, if it hadn't worked out, it would have been a rough year probably applying to a whole bunch of other schools. So I went to Wharton and knew I wanted to get into tech. You know, That's where I met Greg Spiridellis and Jib Jab, and that's where I met Jason, who's the founder of My Perfect Color. Uh, I was there. And short story is I ended up getting a summer internship at Amazon in the summer of 98, and then I didn't go back. So I, I stayed. I got really lucky with timing. Uh, the luck thing is going to come up a few times. I got lucky with timing and uh, worked at Amazon from 98 to 04, launched a lot of – worked on a lot of different launches, including AWS. That was a tough time to be working at the company. Probably fun, but also tough. Like the company's going through tons of growth waves and yeah, it was capital awesome. market pain. And it was, it was awesome. probably it, experience of a lifetime. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I get to work with Jeff all the time. And, and all, a lot of the key people that are there, Jeff Blackburn and, you know, Andy Jassy. Runs, Andy Jassy, who runs AWS and founded it, was my hiring manager during the summer of 98. So 
Um, I remember we talked like two years ago at like a party and you're like, you, or maybe it was like three or four years ago and you're like, you are not going to believe how big AWS gets because Andy, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Jazz, Jazzy, 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 but you're like, he doesn't lose. That guy doesn't lose. Uh, and I, I was like, yeah, mental I, note. I feel that way about a lot of them. I feel like, uh, you know, there are lots of great companies, but Amazon is stacked just like, a, you know, with talent at everywhere at senior levels and they all sort of channel Jeff's way of thinking, I think, and uh, and Jeff's just getting started. Like he's he's never going to stop. He's like the Terminator. So um, in a good way, <laughs> it's a good Terminator. But like he just he he looks at the opportunity and learning and exploration, and I think everybody focuses way too much on the money it, from his mindset. He just sees it as I'm interested in that. Let's go do that. Like let's uh, do it. yeah, let's do it. And so it's a pretty neat place to work. It's stressful and challenging, but it's a it's a neat place to work just because you work for somebody who's willing to invest big in ideas versus I think a lot of CEOs are just working for their own exit you know ten years down yeah. the line so so yeah so I worked at Amazon from ninety eight to four I left and did some things and started a company called Teach Street we raised from some venture for you know basically we failed we got lucky at the end with an acquisition uh, that brought me back to Amazon. And uh, did uh, basically worked with startups and VCs in the AWS startup business development team for a few years, and um, so uh, and along the way did a bunch of angel investing, like I know you guys do, and got lucky with a few of those, and stopped working a couple of years ago, and then recently invested in My Perfect Color, which is what we're talking about a little bit today, yep. and. And again, my perfect color was founded by a friend of mine from Wharton, and who worked at Amazon with me. And it's and you you've had a long relationship with him because J, his name is Jason. Um, I don't know his last name, but you had I had talked to him a couple of years ago because he was it was kind of a uh, internet company tied to a retail company. Like they were they were kind of experts in paint, right? And they saw the opportunity to do this on the internet too. And now it's like it's my perfect color is like an internet company. Yeah, so we still own Breslow, like this heart, this store that was founded by Jason and his brother Dana by their grandfather in 1924. Oh my gosh! Um, and you know that business is big; it's doing more than two million dollars in revenue. It's profitable and all that stuff. But along the way, Jason, you know, saw the the, the idea or the vision of selling paint online, and it's hard to believe, but nobody does it still. So like you can buy cans of Krylon or Rust-Oleum or whatever, but it's like the old internet days with channel conflict and you know Sherwin Williams, Bear, Ben Moore not allowing these places to sell online. Like they and and buying paint in a store is okay for most residential experiences. You know, it's sort of like you know you just cover your walls with something. Yeah, you, you bring a coat. few samples home, right. check it out. Yeah. So know. Jason's first idea was let's sell paint online. And probably with my perfect color, and probably ten years of that was muddling along, was doing fine. And but it was in the last like eighteen months that he realized that the big opportunity is the B two B. So uh, we sort of pivoted the company into doing a lot of the really hard to match bright colors, Pantones, Rels. And so my perfect color now is focused almost exclusively on that. We we do exact match paint solutions. You know, just two days ago, Hulu called. They needed Hulu green in a spray can. Not only could you not get Hulu Green made at a hardware store, but a hardware store can't even put it into spray cans because you have to be in industrial areas. So that's almost like an example of the niche that we're in. Like we can create all the hard to match bright colors, like 
Tiffany is a customer, uh, Yeti Coolers, IDEO. These are companies that all they care about is the match. Like the color has to be perfect and they need it. Because it's their brand, right? It's their brand identity, like the Tiffany box or Hulu green. And so they're smart. They think about that kind of stuff. Yeah, Jason asked the girl from Hulu, he's like, well, what would you have done if you you didn't find us? She's like, I would, uh, she joked, she's like, I would have cried. But she's like, we would have gone to the hardware store or Home Depot and we would have got whatever's closest. And that's a terrible experience. Like that color, yeah. it would just be a green. And and so, you know, Jason describes it as we think we're building a new category. Like everybody says we don't have competitors. We truly don't have competitors because there is, and I don't want to dare a Y Combinator company, but <laughs> there is no way a Y Combinator company is going to come out that says, hey, let's get in the business of, of making paint. You know, like it, it's it, hard. Yeah, but I mean, you have to be in an industrial area. You know, you have to, like Jason's done this stuff for for 30, 40 years, and you know, there's so there's lots of things that make it attractive, but it's also what makes it difficult. Like we're creating a new category, and we have to go find the people at these marketing companies and manufacturers and 3D printing, and 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 once we find them, though, it's it's exciting. Like our repeat order rate, expansion rates, all that stuff is really exciting. That's amazing. Not, I'm not asking you to bear your secret IP or techniques, but like how, what goes into creating the right kind of match? Cause like conceptually I understand that because yeah. my dad did a lot of painting and my yeah. mom owned a, my mom owned a retail store for 25 years. Yeah. So I'd be in there painting different vignettes, right. different colors, well, the, right? The like, big thing is there is, some te- there is some technology that anybody can buy. So you buy, it's an expensive, piece of equipment called the spectrophotometer. So you can then scan. So we get parts in all the time. So like, like not, it's not just we have a massive database of colors like that you can order immediately, but bike companies, they send us all of their bike forks so that we can scan them. But no. then but then you have to do you have to actually mix the paint and you have to do, you know, X number of shades lower and darker and you we require eye tests for all of our employees because and you have to let it dry. You have to learn how to match the sheens, the finishes, the qualities. And then once you get it dialed in, then you can recreate that with a pretty high precision level. And so it can be done. But then you think about the other barriers. Like, well, PPG is not going to take the time to do that for somebody for 25 cans of spray paint. So we sort of do things that the hardware stores can't do because they don't have the equipment or because, you know, we have 10 times the number of pigments. And this is the boring stuff, but like... So it's, it's things that they can't make because of their two bright colors, or we can put it in formats, a lot of spray paint, touch-up bottles. And then for the really big companies that could do it, they don't want to deal with orders less than 10,000 cans. So yep. we can do as little as one can up to thousands. And, you know, thousands is we don't have the automated equipment, so that's that's a clunky order, but we do them all the time. You know, because it's a high profit, mar- you know, high gross margin business. But So that's the niche. It's the niche is you know, really hard to match colors, things that people can't do, but also we're willing to do sizes that the people that could do that won't touch because it's too small to do less than 10,000 cans. I love it. You kind of, um, I, we really geek out on like process at cruise consulting. Cause we have kind of the same niche, like Deloitte's not going to do what we do. Right. But also like the, the local bookkeeper who's equivalent to the hardware store yeah. can't do what we do either. Yeah, they can't do it because they, so, they don't really know financings and they don't yeah, know what yeah. investors are looking for. Yeah, so you, yeah. So that's the – it's very hard. We, it's a nice place to compete because you know that the pain point for your customers is I just want somebody that really has their shit together and knows what I want my financials to look like and what my investors want them to look like and what my 409A is going to be done and have that all integrated and great customer service. 
and we have the same thing. We know exactly what our customer's pain point is. It's just like, how do we find them? You know, yeah, like, so it's totally, it, and we don't get the word of mouth. At least you get word of mouth because you get a yeah, happy we, startup and they'll tell you 10 other startups. Like, you know, the guy in the manufacturing line at Hussman or whatever, isn't going to go tell his other 10 colleagues at other companies. So we sort of have to call on every one of them. Oh, I didn't think about that. They might be kind of competitive. Did you, do you have you guys done like content marketing or like, cause we actually, we've kind of found this is so sim- simple, but it works. We just answer our clients' questions in a public forum, like on our blog or Vanessa's posts or whatever. Yeah. And actually, that is like a magnet for people because they kind of do, they do the classic like, if they can answer this question, they must know what they're doing, right? Yeah. And I, then, I love that idea. The reason we're the reason we're terrible at content marketing is because I'm in charge of it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know the guy. That'd be like me in charge of content marketing here. You need the person who Jason right. and Vanessa for us, who really knows their stuff. No, but it's a really be, good idea. Be, like, and I'm not going to geek out on this. Like, we literally just put a blog up the other day. But it's like wrestling with, well, do we put it on blog up my perfect color or my perfect color that blog? And we know the right answer, but there are, you know, like technical issues. And um, so, in any oh, case, yeah. we, we uh, through that. yeah. So we get uh, that's a really good idea though, because we're constantly like, what should we write about? But we also get questions every day that we could just publicly say. Oh. We got these three questions last week. These are the answers, and and Google would like that type of content. It totally works. Yeah. Do you guys have the other just geeking out on process here? Do you guys? Because one of the biggest challenges we have is training new people to get them kind of indoctrinated in our flows, and and like you said, good customer service, knowing how to do things. Do you have like training programs, or do, how do you document all this stuff? I would say yes, but I so I live in New Hampshire now. So we moved back from you know, Seattle, Los Angeles, uh, London, and uh, so we live in tax-free New Hampshire. It's awesome. Um, God bless you. Uh, but Jason and the company is in New Jersey, so they're right outside New York City. And so what I was going to say is that Jason, he trains all of those people. I've seen the documents and the forms and the processes, but I'd say I'm sort of outside of that because I'm doing – or, you know, SEO, site development. Content marketing. Yeah, exactly. Well, some of it. And so I'm just saying, like, I, I, the answer is yes, but, you know, it's still a relatively small company. There's like 10 yeah. people in our – we have a 5,000-square-foot warehouse where we make, mix, you know, do all customer service and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. But I think Jason would say he'd like to improve it as we as we grow the company. It's like that. We still want to improve ours, and we're fit, almost 50 people now. Right. And it's like you just – you stare – you've been through it. Yeah. Multiple startups, you stair step it, yeah, and then every year you look at it and you're like, "This is a little outdated. I need to fix this." You know, yeah, um, we're drowning in Google go- Docs. Let's put it that way. Yeah, like, yeah, we, that's a problem. We'll too. create a Google Doc you- to track other Google Docs. I know I'm losing. <laughs> it's starting. My mind's gonna blow up at some point. When you when you talked about, um, you know, we talked about the history of the company a little bit, but like, where was kind of your entry point, and how how you know, in hindsight, now you've been doing this for a while with Jason. How did, how, what do you think your value add? Because I think the reason I asked that question is Jason seems like a subject matter expert, just kind of generally speaking in the startup world. Oftentimes you look for like a really strong subject matter expert and then someone who's either uh, an experienced startup person or a good operator or, you know, how to tell yeah. your story of how that interacted. Well, when I was, so I wasn't working, I was doing, you know, advisory work and all that stuff that we, we all try to do. And so I wrote down, you know, like a, this is the advice I always give to people when they're going to make a change. Like write down what you want and be honest, be brutally honest. Like how hard do you want to work? What do you want to do? Like, you know, cause I get people calling me all the time saying, well, I don't know if I want to go to Amazon, start another company, become a VC. And I'm like, 
you haven't really thought about this very much because those are all, you know, really clear differences. Yeah. So so I wrote down and I said, I wanted, you know, I had worked on startups and invested in startups. And a lot of times they're sort of like fake products. You know, you will launch this thing. We'll see if we can get customers. Then we'll see if we can figure out how to make. And I just said, I don't, I want to work on a real thing with real margins, you know, with profitability, like uh, known customers, known customer problems, not like going after the Instagram crowd. So I wrote, and I wanted to work with friends. And I, I wrote all this stuff down and I said I wanted to get my hands really dirty like in, and own things. And so I had been talking with Jason for years, but Jason came, you know, reached out again and said, hey, we, you know, we need to raise some money, need to pay off some bad debt, like you know, blah, 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 blah. And so that's, it sort of checked most of the boxes or all the boxes really. And um, so, yeah, so I got involved and we, we raised a small round last October. So it was probably about a year since I started actively talking with Jason and we raised a small round. And, uh, you know, since then we've accelerated sales. You know, the site is, uh, you know, there are areas of the site that are still hideous, but the important pages on the site, uh, and I mean hideous from the perspective of people who live online all the time, yeah, the, the yeah, pages yeah. that matter where we get all of our organic traffic and where customers actually spend their time are beautiful like they've been really modernized and so this you know really sort of proud of what we've done in the last 12 12 months but um, so what i brought to the to answer your question i think jason is the subject matter expert if jason gets hit by a bus we are in we're in trouble um so but like i brought the perspective of we got to what are the what are the important pages what are the important experiences how do we fix seo and get that moving in the right direction and uh the investor mindset you know, like Jason had never really, it sounds like everybody else starts with getting great at the investor mindset and then figures out all the other stuff. And so bringing that to Jason and introducing him to what professional investors want to see and, you know, what the metrics need to look like and all that sort of stuff. I think I brought that. Um, plus just helping him with site development, like having somebody who's filing bugs and reviewing bugs and, you know, up until that point, it was largely him doing everything. Oh God. Yeah. Well, but you make a point like the, the, People who are subject matter experts, it takes time and energy to in just to be the subject matter expert. So like you sometimes have to pick your battles. You're either going to be the the person who just knows the category really well and how to do everything, or you're going to be a person who's good at talking to investors because they're kind of different skill sets and they both take practice. Yeah, you know, and and raising money is a skill, and cleaning yeah. up uh, cap structure is a skill, and and running your financials is a skill, and that's not always that's not always where the person who really knows their stuff. Yeah, uh, in the in the category can spend their time. Yeah, I think Chase. I mean, I know he would say because he's like the mistake he made. Probably the biggest mistake he made was bootstrapping for too long. Like, Jason's he's really good in front of investors. His enthusiasm sort of oozes out, and like people see this isn't a short term thing. But you know, he struggled along. Like, there are investors within twenty five miles of his house. He's right outside New York City, and so not nurturing that network of yeah. professionals versus trying to figure it out in sort of the local community really probably subjected him to a lot of pain that that didn't need to go through you know sometimes so, i can relate to that dave yeah because <laughs> oh, we're yeah. strapped too and i'm like oh man it'd be nice to have five million dollars in the bank to invest in all these things you want to do yeah and that's what's right. crazy about this like i said we're doing i talked about it offline we have really strong revenue strong margins crazy customer base like you can see our cust like like i said earlier like yeti coolers tiffany Panera, the U.S. Postal Service, like it's crazy. All these, they come in every day. Um, 
but it is primarily we we just have an awareness and a sales problem and we you know so right now we're we're saying okay we're the site's good like these things are good let's just go all in literally on building out the smb sales funnel and so it's like anything with a startup you move from problem to problem to problem yeah. and we have a hundred percent agreement that our you know our laser focus right now is on uh, you know fu- both fundraising but also fundraising via driving the sales funnels and you know getting better metrics around that i'd say the awareness is a good problem to have in the sense that you could you guys have a product and a process that works right and you have you you've already demonstrated there's demand there yeah so it's repeatable demand that's what's yeah. so exciting about paint you know it's like every tiffany store across the country needs to buy Paid yeah. from you guys probably once a year or something yeah. like that, you know. Yeah, we had this so. we had this customer that you know sort of showed up in June. Now Jason had been talking to them for a year, but since June they've placed six orders for about thirteen thousand dollars of paint. So it's just boom, 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 and now they want us to become their OEM paint supplier. It's crazy. Like oh my gosh. it would be like a quarter million dollars of paint a year, and that's a conservative estimate. And so we have these repeat customers all over the place. And to your point, like. Uh, Pella Windows and Doors called us, and they, people actually pay us to do these matches. Like they send us their parts, and then they pay us. That's awesome. And, That's like yeah, wow. So Pella Pella paid us to match their 24 colors, and I'm it could have been 16, who knows? But then Jason and I were like, oh wait a second, let's just call every Pella distributor in the country. And so that was the where the light bulb went off. It wasn't like the sales close rate was one in a hundred. It's like one in three. And it's yeah, you know it's yeah. more, it's about catching somebody in the right mood on the right day, and then the, then those orders just keep, you know the NorCal you know the Southern Texas the whatever the orders just come in every couple of weeks like they they need 16 cans of spray paint so it's it's just like we see the opportunity all over the business so it's but it's very similar to any purely tech startup I mean we have we have an engineering team we're constantly working on the website but it's very similar to any tech startup where you sort of go this quarter our problems this. Next yeah. quarter, our problems that you know, and so you just—it's—it's it's a lot of whack-a-mole moving from problem to problem. But but like I said, there's a lot of fundamentals of the business that are really good relative to most startups, which can't—they don't know what their revenue or their yeah. their customer what they don't know what their customers are willing to pay for. That's not our problem. Our problem is just finding customers. Well, you also I think maybe talk a little about this, like the importance of like an attractive gross margin and just making sure the business fundamentals are there. Like, did you do that analysis or is that something that as you rework some stuff, you've now you now gotten to that point where it's a really nice gross margin? Yeah, we have a great we have a north of 60 percent gross margin business. And even if competitors hear it, they do, too, because <laughs> we know where we're priced. And but we never, ever hear issues about price. So my hunch is that we're underpriced, that yeah. most people there, I mean, like, it's it's hilarious. We read these emails from customers all the time saying, you know, like, the paint match was indistinguishable, You're, you know, or uh, like that woman from Hulu. She's like, I would have cried, like, and the matches are crazy good. Like, it, it's we do a bunch on Instagram where you can see the matches and you're like, it's indistinguishable. But Jason always... That's actually a smart marketing channel for you. I never thought about that. Yeah, it is. But like, I'm not sure how smart any of that social media stuff is. Like, you know, <laughs> we do have a... It's a good for our brand. It shows a good, like, what we do. Yeah. But I'm not really sure how many people are actually transacting other than e-commerce or social media experts. They might be the only ones making money on social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the 
only ones. Yeah. yeah. But, but anyway, I so, sidetracked so, you there. But so. back to the margin yeah. thing. Uh, it's Jason just always price. He just always built in. He knows what the costs are on everything. And he just yeah. always built the models at a, a margin that we need to sustain the business. And that's awesome because it's one of the first things VC, like VCs don't care if you're losing money or, you know, or I mean, they like, they prefer if you didn't, but what they want to know is, are you, what are your gross margins? How, how, and, and our gross margins Unit have economics. actually increased over the last few years, but that's been as we've pivoted away from consumer and towards B2B. Um, but like I said, it's nice because the only time we'll get a margin a request for is when it's a really big order, but we can usually conserve the margin because we can go to our suppliers on those really big orders and and get the same. So it just sort of ripples through. But the, the free cash flow on those bigger orders, it doesn't matter that you give up a little bit of margin. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. is that something where when you guys talk to VCs, they're they're validating that? Like, because because I think the the reason why I'm so curious about this is the flip side is you have companies get started that have no idea what their margin structure is going to be. And they're kind of trying to discover it while they're building their service or product, and they can kind of get lost. Uh, v- v- like VCs, a perpetual money losing company. I mean, we literally just did our investor deck in the last like six weeks. So it's you know it's me doing it for the four hundred and twelfth time, and that was the easiest slide. I'm like, oh thank God we have a margin. You know we have yeah, a margin yeah, yeah. slide, and we have a graph that shows it's gone from fifty to sixty three percent. You know I'm like, and so I think VCs like that, and they really like our repeat order rates. So we, we were just talking about that this morning. I'm like, Jason, we really should print because we always use like the 10 common examples. Obviously, we'll always mention Tiffany because that's an example of one where the color is, you know, really important. Yeah. Um, and the identity. But, you know, I don't know how many customers we have that that order six to 20 times a year. Like we have a lot. And so I said to Jason, like we should actually pull that data. Like because uh, that is the second like VC investors love the once repeatable. you get a customer repeatable yeah. like they're like what's the ltv We're like we don't know like <laughs> you know yeah. what's what's your cac i don't know like what what costs do you want to include do you want to include the content cost do you want to include just google like because a lot of what we've done is like our advantage is we have nearly 250,000 colors on the site so we get massive amounts of long tail uh, oh, organic because traffic because yeah. most paint companies think about color as the thousand colors that you know sherwin williams has we yeah. can we can create all of those colors, so we have all their wow. color books, and so it's it's just a different way of thinking about it. So we're trying to cast a wide net. But that's what the people who are searching on the internet are looking for is that one match, that's right. that one color that's that right. they you know. That's yeah, amazing. So we do really well with again people looking for those Pantones in paint or the RALs. They they have these weird long color codes that a normal human would never search for, you know. But we also have <laughs> Sherwin Williams Agreeable Gray, like. And, yeah. and there's, again, hundreds of thousands of these things. So, yeah, I mean, it's just like the TED conference ordered the other day, which was just a Pantone color, but we immediately created TED Red. So if you go to My Perfect Color now and you search TED Red or you go on the internet, you say TED Red Paint, well, we're going to show up. And That's amazing. And we just continue to just add – like so the way we think about it is there's a color for everything. And so a competitive advantage is like let's get them all in our database and – you know, and satisfy customers and then rinse, lather, repeat. It sounds like such a perfect match for like an internet business because yep. of that long tail. That's right. You know, and the specificity and especially with like your Amazon experience, you know, people are searching for that stuff. That's you right. You know, it's like, you know, so yeah. it makes so much And we're not really, so like sense. there are some companies that have been funded in the consumer space. Like there's a startup called Claire, not to give shout outs to competitors. It's C-L-A-R-E.com. Oh, there you go. Um, they just have a different approach. Like they're more like Warby Parker. Like we have 55 colors and their site's beautiful and everything, but 
I'm not, we're not convinced that the residential market is that broken. Like it's not that bad to go into a hardware store for a blue that's good enough if you don't care that much about the precision of the color. Yeah. Right? But yeah. for the customers that do care about precision, price is not their issue. Like they, yeah. they it sort of flips the model. So we, we, again, Jason spent a long time doing the consumer side. We, we, we believe strongly that the, the bigger play is the long tail, massive selection, you know, price insensitive customers that really need customer service and follow through and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I was, Vanessa and I always talk about this, like, Having a complex business is actually it's it stinks sometimes, but it's actually incredibly defensible. Yeah. Because the odds of someone figuring out everything that you figured out or everything that we figured out is just so low. Well, that like we love our know. competitive slide. We got feedback from a New York VC about our competitive slide. He's like, I don't believe it. And I'm like, dude, let me send you. Let me like we'll send you to the warehouse and you tell me which of the startups you've met in the last five years want to touch any of this stuff. You know. <laughs> Like, and our competitor is the local body shop or the Ace Hardware, it like, and so we don't know how big it is. Like we say, well, is this yeah. a you know? It's probably not a billion dollar, but like, it's a tens of millions of dollar revenue business. And like, and since nobody sells paint online still, it kind of reminds me of the early days where they're they're yeah. all tr- they're all protecting their channels, and then ultimately they're all going to want to have an online e-commerce business. And we think we have a chance to build that. And then by the way, eight years from now. We will, you know, we can be the leading consumer seller of paint. If you want to. If you, yeah. Well, just by virtue of having it all and lowering prices constantly and getting more efficient, increasing yeah. shipping speed. It just reminds me very much of 1998, you know, with yeah. you, you sort of start with a minimum viable product and you have happy customers and then you, you sort of improve it over time. I love it. I love it. This is an incredible story and kudos to you and Jason and kudos to you for lending all that, um, well, I know you're an investor, so you're not lending it, but you're you're contributing yeah. a lot of your expertise that you built over the years. It's all it's all Jason. I mean, honestly, I'm not being fake humble. Like this thing wouldn't exist. I just wish that he could have saved himself a lot of pain. Well, egg, if he never left Amazon, he'd probably say that was the worst economic decision ever. <laughs> uh, but he could have saved himself a lot of pain if he had, you know, plugged into the the right group of invest people with a different mindset about how to build the business. But yeah, you know, you can only play hey. the hand you have now so hey, and, totally and yeah. and you might not be you know it just it's it, work life tends to work out i think for people who work hard and who, who mean well so yeah well maybe you can tell everyone this has been awesome can you tell everyone where to find my perfect color and uh and just give the pitch one more time yeah it's real simple it's myperfectcolor.com uh and our guess like i said our core customer is is companies brands manufacturers a lot of marketers who need exact matches for their colors and exact, we were just covered in a HubSpot blog post the other week, and so we created HubSpot Orange, so they can now order their. So it's it's that sort of That's thing, awesome. TED conference, whatever. And so, uh, if you have a brand color or you know 3D printing, whatever, we 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 do a lot of uh, custom work and can ship it out uh, pretty much same day for most stuff uh, if if needed. That's incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and awesome talking and catching up with you. Thanks. Say hi to Vanessa. You, you guys are awesome. Thank you. All right, buddy. Thank Bye. you. Hope you enjoyed that episode of Founders and Friends Podcast. Quick shout out to Brex, the first startup credit card. Brex is our sponsor and we really appreciate their support. Brex has no personal guarantee for founders. That's a really big deal. It integrates really nicely with QuickBooks. 
great rewards that are startup centric. It's a really nice little tool and we are seeing it uh, all across the cruise uh, portfolio of clients. So check it out. And again, if you go through the sign up flow and type in cruise, you get a discount. So hopefully you'll check out Brex. Thanks again for the support on the podcast, guys. Take care.